You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. greatest potential is when we end the church service and we all go our own ways and you're at school or you're at work or in your neighborhood, people in your life, people in my life, greatest potential is to share the greatest message. And if we will do that, people will get saved. But if we will do that, there will be opposition. Just expect it. For many believers, the extent of their Christian life starts and ends with attending worship services on Sunday. Jesus has little influence on the rest of their life, and the people around them in their community may be completely unaware of their faith. As Pastor Danny will point out in today's message, that isn't how this works. Jesus commissioned us to go and make disciples. It was the last thing that he told his followers before ascending into heaven. Sharing the gospel is essential to our faith. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Acts chapter 3. Verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them, no doubt, expecting to get money. But what he got was far better. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, if you ever say that to a lame person, You want to make sure it's the Lord telling you. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Pause with me just for a minute and let's just consider the miracle. See, I was taught early on in my Christian life, God's not doing those kind of things anymore. And I found out from scripture first and experience second, that's just not true. Now, while I would love to see more miracles, more miracles, who wouldn't? 
God is doing miracles today. He is doing miracles. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have a list of giftings, uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and one of them is miracles. Another is gifts of healing. And sometimes God chooses to do that, and he wants to work through us to do those kind of things. Sometimes the challenge in not seeing more is a lack of faith. I hope somebody can relate with me because I often feel like the guy recorded in Mark chapter 9 Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured before them. When they come back down from the mountain, there's an argument going on and somehow it's connected with a father who's brought to the other apostles his son who was demon-possessed. He wants him delivered, but these apostles uh, can't seem to get the job done. And the father then turns to Jesus and he says, Uh, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know what Jesus said in response to that? If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. To which the father then replied to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's me so many times. Can I get a witness? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Sometimes it's a lack of faith. Sometimes it's just not God's will. But God is doing miracles today. He is doing miracles. Now, with that said, let me, let me say this, and I hope, you, I hope you hear this, because I think Scripture backs it up. While I know and believe that God is doing miracles today, I believe the early apostles had a unique ministry of the miraculous. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, the true mark of an apostle is signs, wonders, and miracles. And so in the time of the early church, there was no New Testament, and to put a stamp of authentication and truth about the message of Jesus, I think in that time, for those apostles, you had the miraculous happening on a more consistent basis. That's just my opinion, but it's based on, I think, Scripture. That doesn't mean that God's not doing miracles today, though. So first we have the miracle. But don't miss what happens after the miracle. Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you, Barabbas. You killed the author of life, But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. The miracle opened a door for the message of the gospel. And that's what Peter lays out. The death, the burial, the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Now, you're probably like me in this too. I would like for every open door that I have to share the gospel come through a miracle. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, every time you get to share the gospel, God does a miracle. And that opens the door for the message. Unfortunately, that's not the way it is. Paul, Silas, arrested. Acts 16 gives the record. They are beaten. They are put in the inner dungeon. They are placed in the stocks. And at midnight, they begin to sing hymns to God and pray. God hears. God shakes the foundation of the prison. Prison doors fly open. Prisoners' chains fall off. Philippian jailer comes running in. What must I do to be saved? You ask the right prisoners. He and his whole family get saved that night, and you have to believe that probably some of the other prisoners, if not all of them, put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that open door, that open door came through a very painful, painful situation. Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writes to the Galatian church, and he says, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. A physical infirmity God allowed in Paul's life actually became a means of opening a door for him to share the gospel. So I'd love for it to be a miracle every time, but that's just not reality. Sometimes the open door comes through a painful situation. Sometimes the open door comes through a physical infirmity that God allows in our life. But the important thing is that the gospel is shared. Now, when the gospel is shared, you can expect opposition. As long as you just come and attend church, Satan's pretty okay with that. Do you realize that? He's pretty okay with that. As long as you just come and attend church. But as soon as we leave here, we leave here and we start to get serious about sharing when we have an opportunity, the message of Jesus Christ, that's when. The alarms in hell go off. Wait a minute, they're moving. Chapter four, verse one, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about, get, get this, get this, 5,000. In just a very short amount of time, the church on the day of Pentecost, 120 people constantly in prayer. Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. God uh, lets people there that have come for the feast of Pentecost, thousands if not millions of Jews, hear this sound as of a rushing wind, gets their attention, brings them to where the 120 people are. Peter gets up. He shares the gospel. How many people got saved? 3,000. So you go from 120 to 3,120. And now, and not long after that, the church has gone from 3,120 to 5,000. Why? How? It's not rocket science. These early believers, not just the apostles, but those who were hearing the word and they getting saved, the 3,000 
the two more thousand or so. When they had the opportunity, they're sharing. When you jump ahead, chapter 8, after the persecution that came as the result of the martyrdom of Stephen, it says, verse 4, those who had been scattered, and all except the apostles, were scattered. They didn't volunteer for missionary uh, duty. They were scattered because of the persecution. They preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went. Now, l- listen, again, pause here just for a minute. I can't tell you in words how thankful I am. I'm thankful for the opportunities God gives us at times like Easter, times like Christmas, uh, outreach events. And, and while those things we should be thankful for and take advantage of, those are not the greatest potential for reaching our world. The greatest potential is when we end the church service and we all go our own ways and you're at school or you're at work or in your neighborhood, people in your life, people in my life, greatest potential is to share the greatest message. And if we will do that, people will get saved. But if we will do that, there will be opposition, just expected. Verse 5, next day the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others in the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, what we'll need Again and again, it's what they got again and again. We need to be filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. And he said, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. There he goes with the gospel message again. Jesus is, and he quotes a messianic psalm, Psalm 118. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then he makes this incredible statement. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Folks, we have the greatest message, the only message that can save somebody's soul. There's only one name, Jesus Christ, and only one message, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That is the only message that can give anybody hope beyond this life, and we have it. But I know what some people are thinking. I know. I just don't don't feel up to the task. That's what some are thinking. I'll just invite him to church. And people tell me, I mean, I can't believe these people show up week after week after week to hear a big mouth like me stand here. But evidently, evidently God has given me some kind of gift to communicate, which is incredible to me. It's really incredible. And some are thinking, well, I'll just invite him to church and you preach to him. And there's nothing wrong with inviting them to church. And I, and I will, I will if they come. And, and, in God's will, 
you know, we'll share the gospel. We don't share the gospel every single weekend because the, the church we believe is for the believers to grow and to mature. And as Pastor Chuck used to say, healthy sheep naturally reproduce. But I know what some are thinking. I don't feel adequate. I feel like I'll mess it up. I'll bring them to church. I'll invite them to church and, and you preach to them. And there's nothing wrong with, with thinking that way. But if that's, if that's the only way you think, what if they don't come to church? What if they don't come to an Easter service? What if they don't come to a Christmas service? There's some people that won't come. I don't care where we hold it. There are people in your world. If you're feeling, if you're thinking, I just don't know if I'm up for it. I got good news and bad news. I gave you the good news first. The good news is you're exactly the kind of person God is looking for. The bad news is you didn't want to hear that. You're thinking, I don't feel adequate. You're thinking, I don't feel like I can do this. Then you're just the person that God is looking for. Look at the next verse. Chapter 4, verse 13. Don't miss this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's one of the funniest things in the whole Bible. You say, why is that funny? The word unschooled, it literally means illiterate. It means somebody having little or no education. That's what these Jewish leaders look at Peter and John. They said, these guys, are, these guys are just illiterate. They're just unschooled. But the second word, oh, this one. I'll give you the Greek word and let you guess what English word we get from it. They are unschooled ordinary, but the Greek word is this. They are ordinary, idiotis. <laughs> he looked at him and said, these guys are illiterate idiots. And they were astonished. They were astonished. It's both encouraging and in some ways it stings. When I read... Verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, believers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Doesn't say not any, not many. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. There's the sting. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. That make you feel real important, won't it? It is what it is. You don't feel up to it? Some of you know my story. I'm sorry you're going to hear part of it again. You talk about not feeling up to it. Yeah. 19 years old, I give my life to Christ. He leads me within a few months to Christian college. I leave South Carolina, I end up in Virginia. I went as a physical education major. I thought maybe as a PE coach or some, somehow in sports, God could use sports, and that would be my means to share Christ. Even though I was a PE major, physical education major, 
They said there's still certain classes you're required to take if you're going to graduate. And one of those, my first semester, was speech class. I almost got in my Plymouth Cricket, thank God they don't make those cars anymore, and drove back to South Carolina. I was encouraged though. They got me with the speech teacher. He encouraged me and somehow I got through that class. It was terrifying. I'm talking terrifying. And I'm not being dramatic. The first book I ever read was my second time through 11th grade in high school. Knowing, feeling that people like me were never going to go to college. They required us in high school, my 11th grade, second time through to go to DO class, DO class. Stands for diversified occupations. And what they taught us in that class basically was how to fill out a job application and how not to dress in going to a job interview and what to say and what not to say. It was just those practical things. It was a boring class. My friend Harold DuBose sat in front of me, and because the class was so boring, Harold brought a book, not the class textbook. He brought a book, and he's reading every day, and he's filling me in, summarizing me on what's happening in this book, and it sounded exciting. He said, when I finish the book, I'll let you read it. So in just a few days, he finished the book during DO class. He gave it to me, and I started reading it, and I had mixed feelings when I finished the book. I was so elated because it was the first book I had ever read. I had never read a book from front to back. And I was elated because I had, I had read my first book, 11th grade, second time through. And I was disappointed because the story was over now. The book, Jaws. <laughs> Before the movie ever came out. First book I ever read, 11th grade, second time through. Go back with me now, survive speech class somehow, but I'll never forget also that first week, Pauline epistles, just the reading assignment alone that was to be completed Tuesday to the next class Thursday. I was to read, I don't know how many chapters in the textbook and then read a certain assignment of scripture. That was just one class. Had a whole bunch of classes. I was overwhelmed. Again, I felt, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be able to do this. That's enough of my stories. You feel inadequate? You're just the person God's looking for. You're just the person God wants to use. I love the stories in the Bible. I love stories like, Judges chapter 6, you know, when God calls Gideon to deliver Israel from the ravaging of the Midianites, the angel of the Lord, that is Christ before he became Jesus. You find him all throughout the Old Testament. He shows up time and time again, the angel of the Lord. He shows up, Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord comes and greets him. He says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's anything but a mighty warrior. But God sees what he will become if he responds by faith. By faith. Gideon says, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. 
Story after story like that. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience as we study the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's message again or more from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something hits your heart exactly where you're at. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we would continue to seek God's will for this program in teaching the Word and reaching the world. One additional thing that we'd ask you to pray about is if God would be leading you to support the Living Word financially. If so, you can find a way to do that through our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.